Good morning, Grace Hill. How are you this morning? It's good to see all of you. My name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new with us this morning or we haven't met, I'd love to meet you afterwards. Um, If you have a Bible, go ahead, open that up. Two places we're going to be this morning, Judges chapter 2 and Deuteronomy chapter 6. So both of those are going to be more towards the beginning of your Bible in the Old Testament. Judges 2 and Deuteronomy 6, of course, we'll have it on the screen behind me, and uh, you're welcome to use your phone to look that up. I I don't really care uh, at all, but we're going to be reading those to text. Um, As Evan mentioned, last week we began a new sermon series, just real short. We like to do these around the fall, you know, end of August through September a little bit, where we just take a few weeks to talk about where do we think God is calling us over the next year, and, and what are some of the things that we have been praying about um, as a leadership team here at the church? And so last week we started this series. We, we call it Highways and Hedges. We're just stealing a phrase from Luke chapter 14, the parable of the great banquet, when Jesus calls his people to, to go to the highways and hedges, the, the outskirts of the city, essentially saying, go to everyone in your town and, and invite them, compel them to come in and taste this banquet. And of course, he was using the banquet as an illustration of, of God's kingdom. And it was this call upon us to, to, to go to our neighbors and, and invite people in to taste and see that Jesus really is good and he's worth following and surrendering your life to. And so we were there last week, but as a part of this, we also just feel from the Lord um, a desire to push even further as well when it comes to discipling and reaching the next generation for Christ. Thinking through what does it look like for us as a church to take responsibility for and to champion raising up the next generation, not only to, to know Christ, but to know all that he has done and to be passionate for him and to surrender their lives for them. And so this is something we've been talking a lot about um, as well as a leadership team. And if you were at our family meal last Sunday, you know this is a big topic of what even our next budget is going to look like as a church where we want to invest in this. But I wanted to take some time just to open the scriptures uh, and ask what does it mean for us to raise up the next generation to know Christ. What does that look like and what does the Bible actually have to say about that? So that's, that's all we're going to do this morning out of these two texts. And let me just say this from the beginning. If, if you're here and you're not a parent, um, you might feel a little bit like, oh, this, this feels a little bit like just for parents. But I don't think that's true because number one, not only parent, parents aren't the only ones, and we're going to discover this, parents aren't the only ones that carry the responsibility of raising up the next generation. And two, I think we're going to dig into some things about our faith and about what it means for me to pass my faith along to another person. I think we're going to dig into some things. It's going to be challenging, maybe eye-opening. Maybe it'll just cause us to reflect a little bit on our own faith. And so I I just want to ask everyone to, to lean in on this one with me this morning. Let me jump right into it. Let's go read from Judges chapter 2 and Deuteronomy 6, and we'll see what it has to say, and then we'll figure out what that means for us. Let me give you a quick context. We're going to read from Judges first. 
Judges chapter 2. So let me give you the quick historical context of what's going on here. So, you know, the nation of Israel, they were enslaved in Egypt. And God raised up this guy named Moses to lead them out of Egypt, to rescue them and to bring them out. And of course, the nation of Israel, they wandered through the desert and they get to, 40 years later, the promised land. And that's this land that God promised his people. And so in Judges, at the beginning of Judges, we're in this moment where the people of God have gone into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. But in Judges 2, we're going to see that Joshua dies. And so you have the nation of Israel. They're in the promised land. Okay, they've been rescued from slavery. And then we're going to see what happens next after Joshua dies. That's your quick context. Judges chapter 2, verses 6 to 12, I'm going to read. It says, When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. So the 12 tribes of Israel kind of spread out to their different parts of the land, the promised land. Verse 7, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. So these, the, the nation of Israel, they're following the Lord. And they're led by people, both Joshua and these elders, that all experienced, they witnessed all of the works that the Lord had done for them. Verse 8, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance, in Timnath Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation, verse 10, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, meaning they died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and, and served the Baals, these false gods. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples, the other nations around them who were around them, and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. And so you have... Very clear, you have a generation that knows the Lord and knows all the works that the Lord had done, but that generation died off. And at some point, there was a failure here of raising up the next generation to know the Lord and to know all the works that he had done. And they were commanded to do this. That's why I want you to see in Deuteronomy chapter six. So if you go back in your Bible just a little bit, to Deuteronomy chapter 6, look at verse, starting in verse 20. This is Moses giving commands to the nation of Israel. And the book of Deuteronomy is essentially a sermon that Moses preaches to the nation of Israel. And it's all about, here is what life should be like in the promised land. All right, so these are like basic instructions for promised land life. Deuteronomy 6, verse 20, when your son asks you in time, 
to come. What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Basically, your son's going to come in and be like, why are we doing all this stuff? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all of these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. The nation of Israel was clearly given a command to raise up the next generation. That they're going to come and they're going to wonder why you do all of these things. You follow these commands, you do these rituals, you go to temple, you memorize these things, you read this book, you do all of these things. What is the meaning of this? And the consequences of not raising up the next generation to know the Lord are very clear. And that was in Judges chapter 2. That if we don't raise up the next generation to know the Lord and the works that he's done, that they will just follow after the other gods of the culture. If we don't disciple our kids to know the Lord, the culture will. That's just a fact. It happened all the way back then in Judges chapter 2. It will happen here. And and they were warned in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Your kids are going to want to know why. That's their favorite question. And you are too. Explain to them all that the Lord has done. But here's what I'm most interested in talking about this morning. I think the consequences of not raising up the next generation are clear. I don't think we need to camp out there. I think what we need to talk about is how. How do we raise up the next generation? Because if we are not thoughtful about this, then we're going to raise a bunch of kids who know what they should believe, but not why. We've got to be thoughtful about this. If you look at Judges chapter 2, verse 10 with, again with me, what does it say? It says, And all that generation were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, what? Who did not know the Lord. They didn't know who he was. Or the works that he had done for them. I'm assuming that in that generational transfer, I'm assuming that a whole bunch of Jewish traditions and customs and rituals and religious activity transferred. I don't think what happened was all of a sudden they shut the temple down, they shut the rituals down, they shut the feasts down, they shut all of that down. No, I'm I'm assuming culture, tradition, ritual got passed along, but it still says that they did not know the Lord. And they did not know the works that he had done. They did not know the why behind any of the what in what they did. So I want to ask, how do we raise up the next generation from these two texts? I've got three points. 
Okay, three points on how we raise up the next generation. So the first one is this, and I already mentioned it. It's this, our kids must know why we follow Jesus. Not just that we follow Jesus. Our kids must know why we follow Jesus. Deuteronomy 6, verses 20 and 21, we already read it. Assume that your kids are gonna wonder why. It just says it right there. It doesn't say if your kids come and ask you, it says when your kids come and ask you, why do we do all of these things? You need to be able to have an answer for that. And both of our texts this morning, Deuteronomy 6 and Judges 2, link testimony to discipleship. I want you to hear that this morning. Both of our texts link testimony to discipleship. The Bible isn't satisfied with us raising up our kids to follow Jesus or to go to church or to value the Bible or to have those morals. It's not satisfied with us doing that just because that's what we do or because that's the right thing or that's what we've always done or that's all what we've always done in this family. That's not a satisfactory why for the Bible and it's definitely not gonna be a satisfactory why for our kids. No, the Bible says when they come and ask you, what is the meaning of these things? Why do we do this? That you you tell your story. It links testimony to discipleship that you need to invite your kids into your very own experience with God and the things that God has done for you and testify to the work of God in your lives. I say this all the time and we'll continue to do that, that our, our kids need to see the gospel of Jesus Christ work itself out inside of our home and inside of our church. Like it's not enough for our kids just to learn the information of the gospel. They need to understand why you believe it, why you've surrendered your life to it, and then they need to see it actually affect change, reconciliation, give joy, make things different here in your home and in the church than it is out in the world. They need to see itself work itself out. They need to see and hear how the gospel of Jesus Christ has met you in your need for grace. How the gospel of Jesus Christ has provided forgiveness to your specific sins and mistakes and shortcomings. They need to see that in their parents. They need to see that in their Grace Hill Kids volunteer teachers. They need to see that in their youth leaders. They need to see that the gospel is real. Now, I grew up with flawed parents. I know they're in the room. But I grew up with parents who are not too proud to need grace. Parents who are not too proud to be able to repent in front of me and say, I, what I just did there was wrong. It wasn't okay. And I can come to you and ask for forgiveness because I know that I have forgiveness from my Father in heaven in Jesus Christ. I grew up with parents who didn't see 
religion and church as a way to keep up with other people or as a way to show other people how put together our family was, but no, parents who had suffered and parents who have sinned and parents who have made big mistakes and parents who just needed a lot of grace and they're willing to bring me and my brother into that story and not project something different to, to show us that, no, the gospel actually does something. It's not just a tradition that we follow. See, the gospel, right? What is the gospel? The gospel is this truth that we are flawed human beings, sinful human beings. And we need a savior. We, we need redemption. We need forgiveness. We need someone to come in and to forgive us of our sin and then lead and guide and direct us with grace and gentleness towards new life, better life, redeemed life. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ does. He comes after us, forgives us of our sin, and then leads us into something new and joyful. And it's so easy to raise our kids in the faith in such a way that it just becomes a tradition. Where, where the why behind it is, well, I don't know, it's, it's just what we do. It's what we were raised to do. It's what my parents do. I didn't have a choice to go to church every Sunday. You know, it's so easy to raise our kids in that and yet never bring our kids in to the ways in which we actually need the gospel. Like testify to our own shortcomings and our need for Jesus to forgive and change and redeem. It's so easy to raise our kids with knowledge of Bible stories, and yet they've never witnessed the gospel reconcile a relationship. They never witnessed the gospel redeem someone and bring forgiveness. This is why testimony must be linked to discipleship. We have to share our stories with our kids. We have to bring them into our lives. It's why story is so important because story makes the gospel real. It gives it actual flesh and bone that we can latch onto and see how it actually does affect change and, and save people. And if we raise our kids up in the faith and they don't know the why, then when they go out into the world, because at one point they will, at one point they're going to hit the world and the world's going to ask questions and the world's going to go to them and say, hey, what's the meaning of all those things you do? Well, why, why do you do that? Why do you read that book? Why do you hold to those values? Why do you go to church? Why do you live your life in that way? And they're going to be hit with the why question. And they may not have an answer for it. And you might be here this morning and you go, man, I, <laughs> Alan, I, I don't know if I have an answer for that. I mean, it's, it's, it's so common. Don't be ashamed of that. It's so common to be in a spot where you go, man, I've, I've always grown up as a follower of Jesus. I've always grown up in the church, but why, why, why do I follow Jesus? I don't know if I have an answer for that. And I'm just gonna kind of 
press pause on the next generation thing and, and do a quick plug over here. I mean, this is exactly why we focus on telling our stories in groups. Because stories give the gospel flesh and bone for you to attach to, for you to see how it's working, for you to see how it's redeeming and healing another person's life, for you to see how you need it in your life, and we can minister it to one another. This is exactly why we focus on this in groups. Because we need to know why we follow Jesus. And sharing our stories and ministering to the gospel to one another gives all of us a why. So like when I'm sitting in my community group and I'm hearing someone share their story and I hear them get to a place that's so shameful for them, they can't even use words and they say, I'm just not even gonna go there, right? What happens inside of me? I have this longing for them to experience healing and freedom in the gospel. I have this longing for them to know that Jesus Christ is pleased with them because of all that he has done. And there's nothing that they have done that is pushing him away. And they are completely safe to be able to process through what their experience is because the gospel is real. It actually affects change. And as we share that with one another, we invite real opportunities to minister the gospel to one another and give each other a why. And we gotta give it to our kids as well. Our kids must know why we follow Jesus. That's number one. Number two, our kids must know why God's commands are good. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 24 And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. Our kids must know why God's commands are good. All of God's commands are for your joy and they are good. Now here's the deal. I have an eight and nine year old. I need immediate obedience. I mean, do you feel me? Like I need, like I, I told you to brush your teeth and I, like there should be no processing in your brain other than stand up and go to the bathroom and brush your teeth. I don't need to explain to you why. We don't need to do this over and over and over again, right? I need immediate, unquestioned obedience. And how easy is it to give our kids a picture of God where he has an arbitrary set of this is what you do, this is what you don't do. This is good, this is bad, this is acceptable, this is not. How easy is it to give our picture of God who has this arbitrary set of good and bad commands and it does not matter what you feel or think. Now, is there a place to raise our kids to have reverence for God, a fear of God, a a sense of he is higher than I, he can think better than I can, and, and therefore my obedience comes just from a sense of submitting to him? Of course, there's absolutely a place for raising our kids in that. But God wants from us not reluctant obedience. He wants joyful obedience. He wants trusting obedience. He wants the kind of obedience that says, when God says it, I do it because I trust him. I trust that he is good. 
And so I, I just want to do this for a second. Here's how sin and obedience and, and God's commands, how they all work together. I think we need to do like a reset. Like, why does God give commands? What is this about? What is obedience all about? We need to do a reset on this. All right, God created every single one of us as, as good, right? Creation, this is Genesis 1 and 2. He is declared good. He created humanity and said that it is good. But what happens in Genesis 3? We, we fall away from the Lord. We, we don't trust the Lord with certain desires that we have inside of us. That's exactly what Eve did. She, she veers away from the word of God. And what happens is, is all of humanity gets a sinful nature. Now we think too simply about this. We think about sinful nature as just like, well, now you're bad. Everything about you is bad. You're evil. Bad, 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 bad. Now, the fact that we have a sinful nature does mean there's bad stuff in us. But we think way too simply about it. We are still image bearers of God. And so what we need to understand is God created us with needs and desires as a part of his design. And then he created this place, his kingdom, right? The garden where all of our needs and desires would be met in him. And that would be our relationship. He's, he's our king, he's our God, he's our father, he's our caretaker, and we can trust him with everything that's inside of us. But what happens with the fall is we go, okay, God, actually, I don't trust that you can meet those anymore for me. And the world is promising that it can. And that seems to be a better idea. And so if you take any sinful desire, I think any desire that's in us or any sin that's in us, I think if you're curious enough about it, if you ask enough questions to yourself about it, you can get down on your desires to the deepest, deepest level desires. And I think you will find a God-given desire there that we said, I'm not going to look to you, God, to meet that, to guide me in that, I'm gonna trust what the world says, right? So, so in my desire just to, to have an unlimited bank account, just money and in that desire to be able to spend money on whatever I want and to experience whatever I want to experience and have whatever possessions I wanna have, right? I have that desire, that's in me, right? If I'm curious enough about what's going on inside of me all the way down, I eventually get to this point where I'm like, I'm, a, I'm afraid of experiencing of not being able to experience life the way that I want to experience it. I'm afraid of life ending and I didn't get to taste something. I'm afraid of being without. Oh, God put that in me. God put that desire for my soul to be fulfilled, to taste what is good and beautiful and right. He put that in me, but I've just fallen for the lie that the world can provide that for me and not him. And so God gives me commands about money and about possessions. And he gives me commands about what it means to provide for myself and my family and what it means to experience joy in life. And what is he doing? He's saying, Alan, the world will not answer your desires and your needs. Only I can do that. And here I'm, I'm guiding you towards goodness and joy and fulfillment because his commands are for 
our good always. Right, when we experience things like, like lust, sexual lust, and if you go all the way down on those desires, all the way down, right, won't you find a desire for connection? Won't you find a desire to not be rejected? If you go all the way down, oh, those are things that God put in us, and those are things that God wants to lead us into his way. And so he gives us commands. Here's how marriage works. Here's how sexuality works. Here's how I want affection to work. And it's so easy to look at the world and go, but the world has other ideas about how this could be fulfilled. And it's really tempting to think that the world is right. And God says, no, I'm leading you to goodness. I'm leading you to joy. God's commands are about helping us place our trust in him as he leads us to life and not putting our trust in the world. You know, so when we have, let's just, you know, let's talk cultural relevance here for a second. You, you've got people, and maybe kids are struggling with this or they're getting taught this stuff in the schools and they go, man, they're, they're struggling with what their gender is or they're, they're struggling through their sexuality or whatever it is. Well, some of them have encountered a church that just said, bad, gross, disgusting. What is that? That's not how God's commands work. The world is coming to them and saying, we'll accept you, and we've got some answers for you. We've got some things that you can try. We got some things that we believe will fulfill your soul. And the world is wrong. It always has been. And God's commands are there to lead and guide and gently direct them to fullness of joy in him. Because his commands are for our good always. Now, if we raise our kids to view God's commands as just arbitrary good and bads, and we don't provide a safe environment for them to be curious about their desires, let me tell you exactly what's going to happen. The world is going to offer them a much more compelling case on what is good or bad. If we don't have a spot for our kids to talk through what they feel, what they desire, what they want, what's in them, without shame, the world's going to fill that void and lead them straight to death. How do I summarize one and two? Very easy points, one and two. How would I summarize this? Our kids need our vulnerability. We have to invite them into our story so they know why we follow Jesus. And two, our kids need a safe place for them to be vulnerable as they ask their questions about faith and about life and what it means to follow Jesus and why his commands and his word is for their good always. They need both. Number three, we must all take responsibility to raise up the next generation. If you go to Judges 2, the blame is placed on everyone. Not individual parents. It didn't say, you know, the parents didn't raise up their next generation. It just, it was on the whole community. They didn't raise up the next generation to know God or the works that he had done for them. We must all take responsibility to raise up the next generation. Generation. We all share in this. 
As a church family, we all share in this. Whether you have kids or whether you don't have kids, you have a responsibility to raise up the next generation to know the Lord and know that he is good. God has entrusted this church with over a hundred kids to raise up. And we're not a big church. I mean, that's incredible. And so I just imagine their testimony 15 years from now, 20 years from now, where they could say, I grew up in a church where not only my parents, but also the people that were in my Grace Hill Kids classrooms and my youth leaders and my friends' parents and kind of everyone that I encountered. Man, they knew why they followed Jesus. I heard stories of how Jesus had rescued and saved them and brought them from death to life. I saw the gospel take a conflict in the church and mend it. I I saw how people had sinned against other people and they owned it and they repented and they sought forgiveness. I, I had an experience in my church body that was different than my experience at my school or with my other friends or whatever it is. Something was different there. There was substance there. Oh man, I knew why all God's commands were for my good. Could you imagine their testimony? And could you imagine the impact, the generational impact that has down the line if we raise up a next generation who doesn't just know what they should believe, but they know why God is good. And we should surrender our life to him. And so, Grace Hill, what I want us to do is, I, two ways I want us to respond this morning as we just think about this. The first is, I just want you to even reflect in your own life. Like, do, do, do I know why I follow Jesus? Do I believe that God's commands are for my good and for my joy, even when I don't understand them? Is that true of me? Because I don't assume that everyone's in that spot. And I think we all go through seasons where we, we have big questions about that. And that is normal. And so my encouragement to you as you reflect on that is share that with someone. That's, that's why we want to be a church that's safe to be known. is because we want this to be a place where you can go, guys, I, I don't know if I know why I follow Jesus. And you can be very gently and kindly shepherded towards understanding more your own faith journey and what it means to follow Jesus. I encourage you, share that with someone. Share that with your group. Find someone that you trust. Talk through it. Don't don't leave it inside here. Share that with somebody else. And the other thing I want all of us to be praying about and thinking about is, what does it mean for me to lean into my responsibility here at Grace Hill Church to raise up the next generation? We are a small church, all right? It takes a village to raise up 100 kids plus in a church this size. And by village, I mean everyone. It really does. It, it, it takes everyone. We don't have the capacity. We don't have the ability for only some of us to do that. And so I want to challenge all of us. I want to encourage all of us to think through what does it mean for me to lean into this responsibility, 
to not only be a part of our various ministries that are in direct seeking to raise up the next generation, but also to create a culture here where we know why we follow Jesus and we know why God's commands are good. To create a culture here where we invite each other into our stories, we share our vulnerability, and we create a safe place for others to be vulnerable. We, that's a part of this whole thing. But I do want to ask everyone to pray through what, what is, what's a practical way I could do this. And I'm telling you, a practical way is you could be a part of serving in Grace Hill Kids. And this is not me trying to give you an entire sermon so that you can get an announcement at the end. It actually is me as one of the pastors here saying, we have such a privilege to raise up these kids to know Jesus. And we have such a big need to do that well, to do that responsibly, to do that safely, and to do that with quality. And it means we need everyone engaged. Again, whether you have kids or you don't have kids. And so I want you to pray about serving in Grace Hill Kids and or serving and on our youth team. You can sign up for both of those opportunities just by scanning the QR code in your bulletin um, and we'll get in touch with you. But we need everyone to lean into that because when everyone leans into it, it's not just about having enough volunteers on the roster. It's about all of us taking a share of that responsibility so it doesn't overload some of us, so that we can do it really well, like really well. And that's, I believe, what God has called us to do. So I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna pray for our kids. I'm gonna pray that we as a church would be faithful to raise up the next generation for Christ. And I wanna pray for those of you here might even be wrestling in your own heart and spirit. I don't even know if I know why I follow Jesus. My hope for you is this is a safe place for you to work through that and to articulate that and to be shepherded towards an even greater faith in Christ. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for the hundred kiddos you've entrusted to us. God, I, I have so many friends who grew up in churches and it was just damaging to their faith because they didn't know why they should believe what they believed. And they were never given a space to work through what they were feeling, what they wanted, their questions. God, I, I beg of you that that would not be so of Grace Hill. God, it's scary to say that you've entrusted 100 kids to us. God, as one of the pastors here, that, that makes me tremble is an awesome responsibility. And God, our longing and our yearning is that we would raise up kids who don't just know what, but they know why. We'd raise up kids who know you and know that you're good and know all the works that you have done for us. 
So God, we need help. We ask for your help. I pray, God, we'd be humble. And that, God, you would lead us into where we need to do a better job of raising up these kids. God, I pray that we would be faithful to step into the responsibility that each of us need to carry for this. God, I pray that in those classrooms back there, more and more and more kids would surrender their life to you. Not just because they were led through a prayer, but Lord, because they heard a testimony of your grace and your goodness. And they believed it. Oh God, help us to be faithful in this work. Lord, I pray the legacy of Grace Hill isn't a big church here in Herndon, but God, us sending out hundreds of faithful disciples of Christ because we heeded the call to raise up the next generation. We need your help. And God, I just pray for those of us who might be even wrestling through our own faith in the room. God, would they feel your gentleness and your care this morning? And I pray you'd bring people into their life that they would feel very safe to talk through that with and share that with, that they would not have to walk through those questions alone. We love you, God. We thank you for your grace. We praise you for your wonderful works. We praise you for how you have saved us. And we want to sing about that now. We love you, God. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.